Good morning. All right. I got to tell you, that was funny, man. When that song starts speeding up and slowing down, I know y'all can hear my voice just like hanging out there because I, I get totally lost sometimes with some of the songs that we sing. Anyway, I want to welcome everyone who's joining us today. And I want to start by telling you a story. It's about a young man who began college at a Christian university. And when he got there, he committed himself to doing everything backed by book, chapter, and verse from the Bible. I mean, he wouldn't do anything unless he could find Scripture for it. Well, shortly after he started attending the school, he saw this beautiful young lady. And he asked her out on a date, and they started dating. And the way it would work is they would go out on the date, and then he would walk her back to the dorm, and then he would extend his hand, shake her hand, and tell her goodbye. Now, this is the thing. He really wanted to kiss her. But... He didn't have book, chapter, and verse from God's Word to do that. And, and so he didn't do it. And, and so, man, he was really getting into God's Word. He's trying to find some sort of verse that gave him permission to kiss her. And finally, he got into Romans chapter 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And he took it to his Bible professor, and his Bible professor explained to him that that has nothing to do with dating. So he had to start back at square one. Well, him and this young lady, they went out again, and he walked her to her dorm, and finally, you know, he reached out his hand to shake it and, and to say goodnight when finally she had had enough. Man, she grabbed him and laid the biggest kiss on him. And when she got done kissing, he stood there saying book, chapter, and verse. Book, chapter, and verse. And right before she planted another big one on him, she quoted Matthew 7, 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. <laughs> now the reason I told you that story is because we all need our love life guided by the Word of God. Amen? And I say that because a couple of weeks ago I was talking to an individual who had been married several times. And he asked me about love. And so we went over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we started looking at verses 4 through 7. And you can turn there with me this morning if you'd like. This is going to be a textual sermon based off this particular chapter. But we got over there and we began to read. Now, I just want you to pay attention to what Paul says here. He says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about evil, but rejoices with whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every 
circumstance. And when we got done looking at these few verses, I really believe this individual that I was talking to about love was absolutely blown away. And I think we all understand why, right? This is not what we see on TV, right? I mean, you guys would agree, this is not the kind of love that we see in the movies. This is not the kind of stuff that we read about in books. And I want to shed some light on that. How many of you know that there are four different kinds of love? Not many of you. And, and the reason why is because the English language uses the one word love to describe all four. But the Greek language uses a different word to describe the four different kinds of love. For example, there is eros love. And this is a physical love between two sexes. To put it simply, this is a love that comes from or arises from our inner passion. Then there's storge love. This would be the love between a parent and a child. It's an affectionate love. Then there's phileo love, and this is the love of a brother for another brother, or the love of a friend for a close friend. It's a love that cherishes, a love that holds someone close to your heart. And then lastly, there is agape love. And this is a love that goes so far that it loves a person even if he or she doesn't deserve it. And that's what the Bible calls you and I to as Christians. Because this is the love of our God. Right? We looked at this passage last week, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And Paul writes, but God showed His great white church, said out loud, Great love for us by sending Christ, His Son, to die for us while we were what? Said out loud. While we were sinners. Now let me ask you a question this morning, okay? Does the ungodly deserve the love of God? I'll answer that for you. No. But our God loves us anyway. Even though we don't deserve it, even in verse 10, he goes on to say in Romans chapter 5, we were, we were his enemies, but he loves us anyway, so much so that he sends his only son to die on a cross for our sins. And that's agape love. It's a love that's undeserving. It's a love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as being greater than the gift of tongues, greater than the gift of prophecy, greater than super knowledge. It's even greater than hope and, and faith. It's a love that is so valuable and so important that apart from it, every other good thing is useless. And this is the kind of love that the world needs to see in us as Christians.
But here's the deal. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul here is not writing about a love that feels good all the time. But rather, he is writing about how love can be seen through our actions. In fact, write this down. True love is always demonstrated by action. I mean, you hear people say, I love you, but they don't necessarily do anything to prove it. But yet, true love always demonstrates through action. Look at, look at our text again. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. Notice what Paul says. Love suffers what, church? Love suffers long. In other words, love is patient. Love will always endure a long time. And we see this in our Lord. Right? You, you look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 9, where Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. Now remember, last week we talked about Jesus and how He promised, I will return. Well, there were some who were later on saying, Well, you know, He still hasn't returned yet. You know, what's the deal? Jesus is being slack concerning His promise, and Peter says, no, He's being long-suffering. He's being patient toward us because of His love for us. He says He doesn't want anyone to perish, but He's giving all of us time to repent and to turn to Him. And so if God's love is in us, we will be long-suffering towards others even towards those who annoy us or frustrate us or hurt us in some way. In fact, you may want to write this down. True love forgives 70 times 7, and then it keeps on forgiving. Paul put it like this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be what, church? Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of what? Say it out loud. Because of your love. Also, as we continue looking at verse 4, Paul says that love is kind. Kindness is an action word. Kindness is stepping forward to share a burden or a need with someone. Kindness is also characterized by tenderness. Kindness is also having a merciful attitude towards someone who may have wronged us. And some of you may be thinking, well, the person I have in mind doesn't deserve that. And here's the thing, that's agape love. Are you with me? Love is giving the other person what they need instead of what they deserve. Remember what Jesus said. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28. This is hard to swallow. But He says, But to you who are willing, listen, I say love your what? Your enemies. He goes on to say, Do good to those who what? Who hate you. Bless those who what? Who curse you. And pray for those who what? Who hurts you? What's he telling us to do? 
He's saying, I want you to do good. And I want you to bless. And I want you to even pray for those who do not deserve it. That's agape love. In other words, we show them our love through our kindness. But then also, he goes on to say in verse 4 that love is not envious. And that word envious just simply means that you have something that I want. Today we would use the word jealousy. And let me remind you that it was envy that caused Cain to kill Abel in Genesis chapter 4. It was envy or jealousy that caused Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery, Genesis chapter 37. It was envy or jealousy that caused the Jewish leaders to take Jesus and to have Him crucified, Matthew chapter 27, verse 18. Dwight Moody once told a fable about an eagle who was envious or jealous of another eagle who could soar higher than he could. And so one day that eagle went to a hunter and he says, will you shoot that eagle down? And the hunter said, well, I would if I only had some feathers for my arrow. And so the eagle pulled out one of his feathers from his wing and he handed it to the hunter. And he attached it to the arrow and he aimed at the other eagle that was soaring so high and he shot and he missed. And so the eagle pulled out another feather from his wing and he handed it to the hunter and he attached it to another arrow and he shot and he missed and this happened over and over and over again until guess what? The eagle didn't have any more feathers to fly. And so the hunter turned to the helpless eagle and he killed it. And this was Moody's application. If you are envious and jealous of others, the one who you will hurt the most by your actions is yourself. Solomon put it like this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy, though, is like cancer in the bones. Love does not envy. Also, he goes on to say that love is not proud. In other words, love is not arrogant. True love does not think or act as though it is better or above anyone else. Love is modest. Love is humble. Love seeks to honor others. There's a great story told about Booker T. Washington, the renowned African-American educator. Shortly after he took the presidency at the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, They say that he was walking down the street when a very wealthy woman came up to him and said, look, I'll pay you if you will cut me some firewood. Well, Mr. Washington, he didn't have any uh, pressing appointments at the time, and so he smiled and he rolled up his sleeves and he chopped up some wood. And not only did he chop it up, he went into her house and he stacked it beside her fireplace. Well, later on, someone who had watched Mr. Washington do all this went up to the lady, 
told her who he was, and she was so embarrassed. And so the next day, she went to the institute, went into his, into his office, and she, she said, I'm so embarrassed, I, I just want to apologize for asking you to do this. And this is what Mr. Washington said. It's perfectly all right, madam. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. That's awesome. Mr. Washington shows us that pride and love don't dwell in the same heart. You can't be big-headed and be big-hearted at the same time. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 4, He says, anyone who becomes what, church? Who becomes as humble as this little child is the what? Is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Man, this next one's a tough one. Verse 5. Love is not white church. Rude. How many of you would say that there have been times when you've been rude? Better yet, let me, probably the better question to ask is, is there anyone in here who would say there's been a time when you have not been rude? Right? All right, now, now we got to talk about lying, Okay. And yet, here's what I would challenge us all to think about. When someone was being rude to you, or during that moment when you were being rude to others, do you think that love was being shown? I mean, think about it. When someone's being rude to you, can you see the love of God in that person? And so he's trying to make a point here. Love isn't rude, it behaves. And it treats all persons with respect and honor and kindness. He goes on to say, love doesn't demand its own way. In other words, love's not selfish. Love doesn't say, me first. Or, or love doesn't say, serve me. Love thinks of others. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24, he says, don't be concerned for your own white church, for your own good, but for the good of who? For the good of others. And Paul goes on to say in Philippians 2, verse 4, don't look out only for your what? For your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Think about this for a moment. What would the world be like if we all sought the well-being of others instead of our self? What would our marriages look like? What would our work environment look like? What would the church look like? if we were constantly thinking about others instead of constantly thinking about self and what we want and what we like. Because love is not selfish. It doesn't demand your own way. I mean, you think about Jesus. In the most basic way, He was other-centered instead of self-centered. And that's what he's calling us to as Christians. 
Also, love is not easily irritated. In other words, love doesn't get angry easily. Love doesn't have a quick temper. Love is not touchy or overly sensitive. One of my favorite television shows growing up was the Andy Griffith Show, and my favorite character was always Barney. In fact, watch this. Well, well of all the questions to come up with, that won't take the cake. <laughs> uh, Barney, Opie and I usually keep these little talks to ourselves. Oh, sure. Oh, I understand that. <clears throat> oh, I, I got plenty to do in here anyway. <laughs> Are Barney's feelings hurt, Paul? Oh, I don't think so. I think I can uh, speak for my own feelings, Andy. <laughs> Why do you ask that, Hope? I don't know. I heard you were kind of sensitive. Sensitive? Me? Sensitive? <coughs> Barn. Well, that's a nice thing to get started around. <laughs> See, the thing that upsets me is having people say I'm sensitive. There's one thing I'm not sensitive. <laughs> Talk about being misunderstood. <laughs> You're a little flushed. That's spirit. I'm a very spirited person. It's a big difference, you know. Go on and have your little talk. Don't mean nothing to me anyways. I'm sorry I hurt Barney's feelings, Paul. He's very spirited. Is he like sensitive? Yeah, kind of. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get what? Slow to get angry. And so love is not easily irritated. It's not easily provoked. It's not overly sensitive. Also in verse 5, he says, love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, this literally means that love does not hold on to the wrongs of the past, but rather lets it go. Puts it away. I heard about a tribe in Polynesia where it was customary for each individual to keep reminders of the wrongs that had been committed toward them by others. In fact, what they would literally do is they would hang reminders of the wrongs of others throughout their hut. And you say, well, that's absolutely absurd, is it? Maybe we're not hanging anything from the roof, but how often do we make a list, a mental list, of the, way that, of the ways that people have wronged us? And man, we kind of keep score. We, we kind of keep up with that. And you say, why? Well, because we're tempted to want to get even in some way. Maybe we don't physically harm that person, but maybe we decide, well, I'm just going to withhold my affection. I'm going to withhold my love. Because remember, back then, they said this, they did this, and in our mind, there's this mental record. True love doesn't do that. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, Paul puts it like this, See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always tries to do good to each other and to who? All people. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Isn't that, isn't that crazy to think about? I mean, that's so different 
than what we see in the world oftentimes. But this is, this is who, notice, this is who God has called us to be. That even when we're insulted, even when we're wrong, even when we're hurt, we don't keep a record of that. Rather, we bless them and we pray for them. And we do good to them. Just as Jesus has done for us. Verse 6, also love doesn't rejoice in evil. In other words, love doesn't take pleasure in the sins and misfortunes of others. You say, well, well, what do you mean? Well, it's sad to say, but I think we can be tempted at times either through jealousy or just because we've been hurt by another individual to rejoice you ever done this? To rejoice when something happens to them. When they fall into sin or, or, or when something tragic happens in their lives. We're, we're tempted at times to want to rejoice in that. And yet love doesn't rejoice in evil. Love regrets, it weeps that sin and misfortune has taken place. In fact, write this down. True love wants the best for others. If we could just keep that at the forefront of our mind, true love wants the best for others. Also, love rejoices when truth wins out. And, and this kind of ties in to what James says in James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. My Christian brothers and sisters, if any of you should be led away from the truth, in other words, this is someone who has walked away from Christ. They've, they've walked away and they're living in sin. He says, let someone turn him back again. That person should know that if he turns a sinner from the wrong way, he will save the sinner's soul from death and many sins will be forgiven. That's true love. When, when we rejoice over the simple fact that someone has been led back to the Lord. They were living in sin, they had walked away from the Lord, but the truth was shared with them and they changed their lives. And they came back. They were forgiven. True love rejoices in that, not, not evil. But then lastly, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Let me ask you this morning, does the world need this kind of love? Will you guys give me just a few more minutes? Three things real quick. First of all, love is a command. Jesus was asked on one occasion by a lawyer, what is the greatest command? This is what he says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says the, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two what, church? On these two commands. Love is a command. Love God and love your neighbor. Now in Luke chapter 10, Jesus was asked, well, who is our neighbor? 
And he goes into this story, right, about this Jewish guy. He's traveling. Some bandits jump on him, beat him up, leave him on the side of the road. And some churchgoers, two churchgoing guys come along. They see this Jewish guy beat up on the side of the road. And instead of stopping to help, they go right around and they ignore him. And then Jesus says there was this Samaritan, a foreigner, an outsider. Someone who was despised by the Jewish community. But he sees this man beat up on the side of the road and he stops. And he helps him. And then Jesus asks, he says, now, who's the neighbor in this story? And the point Jesus is making is your neighbor is whoever is within your sphere of influence. In other words, our neighborhood is not determined by our space on the street, but by our willingness every day to show kindness and concern and love to, listen to me, everyone around us. Because that's our neighbor. And Jesus says, on that idea hinges all the law and the prophets. In other words, Paul says, all commands are summed up in this command. Love God and love your neighbor. And so write this down. To love is always right and to not love is always wrong. Also, love is a choice. In other words, God doesn't force you to love Love is a decision of your will. In fact, Jesus says in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, He says, but above all things, do what, church? Put on love. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. He says, pursue what? Pursue love. In other words, it is this idea of making love your highest goal. Now, if real love is a choice that we must pursue, then there are some definitions out here in the world that are not biblical. For example, biblical love is not a feeling. You'll hear people at times saying, we, you know, we just, we just didn't have that feeling for one another anymore. Biblical love is not a feeling, rather it creates feeling. Love causes me to act even when I might not want to at times. I know as a parent, and you parents will understand this, there were times when our kids were babies and in the middle of the night, they would get up fussing and crying. And let me tell you something, I didn't feel like having my nighttime sleep interrupted. Are you with me? I didn't feel like being woken up by children that were crying. But here's the deal. Even though I didn't feel like waking up, I did what was loving. I punched my wife and I said, Honey, the kids are crying. You need to get in there. <laughs> Fathers, don't act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Do you think Jesus felt like going to the cross? Nobody did it because he loved us. Also, biblical love is not uncontrollable. You'll hear people today say, well, we just fell in love. Like they were walking along and there was this hole and they just fell in it together. And, and it was completely by accident. But here's the thing. If you just fall in love, guess what? You can just fall out of love. 
And so true love is something that you put on, as Paul says. It is something that you pursue. It's not uncontrollable. And then lastly, love is the measure. And and I didn't read the first three verses of 1 Corinthians because I was saving it for this moment. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. This is the part that really gets me. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my own body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Paul says five things. He says, nothing I say matters, nothing I know matters, nothing I believe matters, nothing I give matters, nothing I really do matters if love is not a part of the equation. I was upstairs just a few minutes ago and I was talking to Dana and she was talking about that song, What's Love Got to Do With It? She says, I hear that all the time as I'm working. And she said, here's the thing, love has everything to do with it. And I said, exactly. Exactly. The love equation is this, anything minus love is nothing. And so God calls us to love. To love God and to love others. Love gives credit to all that we do in this life. This morning we're going to celebrate the love of God. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper And as we partake of this, we're reminded of the love that God has for each one of us and what He sacrificed on our behalf. Yeah, one door.